0: Welcome to the Inside the Fence Line, a Central Maryland FCS small business podcast where we'll be talking to the thought leaders, business owners, and technical experts shaping the world of defense and intelligence.
1: You know, I get I start going again and he's like, look, you just don't belong here. You don't fit this culture. He said, I, I don't mean anything you know, negative towards that. It's just, you just seem like a person that doesn't, well, you know, if you go up the chain, you're not gonna make it the partner because you just don't fit the way that things are done here.
0: So I'm very happy to have our first guest. We are honored to have Chad Price, the founder of Fortego. Over the next half hour or so, we will hear the journey that Chad took from pulling cables to selling his successful end-to-end cybersecurity company. So let's get started. So Chad, let's talk about the origin, right? So I think when you and I first talked, Uh, you mentioned about your security clearance and your time at gte and how you got started so what is the what is the origin of chat how did you go from where you are then to where you are now
1: yep yeah uh so thanks for having me on the podcast and being the first guest and hopefully this goes well right um so uh and i live up to the expectations that you guys put on me i'm sure you will (laughs) uh yeah so i was cleared at 16 i went through a um went to north county high school i went through their uh, you know, work study program. They had NSA uh, things on the boards and things like that at school and you got the miss class, right? So I was like, I'm going to go take an opportunity to miss class and see what this is all about. And uh, my father was an NSA uh, civilian. So I was talking to him a little bit about it. And I knew that I wanted to get in a computer field at at some point um, at a very young age. Um, So I took their tests. I was one of, I think five or six to pass through all their tests and i think it narrowed down to me and one other person who passed the polygraph so um i was expecting to get hired um as a civilian and um, it turned out that they had a hiring freeze and they kept asking me to be a secretary for 5.25 an hour and i was a supervisor at hardy's uh making like 8.25 an hour so there was no way i was taking a pay cut to be a secretary Uh, nothing against secretaries just not something that i want to do in my field right Um, and especially going in and, you know, it was a very grueling process over about six months to pass all their tests and, and, uh, and pass the polygraph. Right. Um, so, uh, long story short, my father was like, Hey man, you know, you could always be a contractor. Um, so I started applying for companies that I knew that were in the contracting field and, uh, ended up in, I think it was T group, which was telephones. Right. And, uh, so I got the job pretty much right off the bat. I think they were just looking for a badge and a pulse, um, and I, which I qualified for both of those. Right, um, decided not to go to college, forego for college, and, and go do this. Um, I did that for about uh, six months. And my boss at the time at GTE was retiring. And he said, uh, why are you here? And I'm like, you know, this is a job it's a badge and a pulse you know that kind of thing and he's like no 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 why aren't you you're not going to advance here why are you doing this he's like you're a smart kid he's like would you travel to you know do a job and i was like sure i had no idea what he meant um but he knew i was super frustrated i was trying to get into the stew three shop where programming stews and things like that getting closer to computers um he retired sent him off um, GTE defaulted on the contract, Mantech picked up the contract. That's a different experience and a whole nother podcast. Um, and, uh, I get a call. Um, I guess I was there about 10 months at the time and I get a call from, uh, AT&T telling me that they want me to come interview for a position. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? Um, and they said, you know, we're at Langley, you know, and I said, I had just bought a new car. Uh, my starter went up. In the brand new car i had to get it to the they were towing it that day uh and the guy says rent a car will make it worth your while so end up going driving the wrong way to langley which i'm not picking up that it's cia at the time end up in a bad part of town state policeman pulls me over says what are you doing here i'm like this is a, this is a theme right this what are you doing here thing um end up uh way out of the way he points me to where i need to go i go get a map from a gas station End up late for the interview, getting through uh, really cool CIA security, which was wild. Um, get in there and uh, I literally, and I probably shouldn't share this, but I'm going to. I BS my way through the job. I knew how the internals of years worked, but not to the, to the granularity that they were asking me and basically faked my way through the job. And they gave me the job on the spot now. And it was literally two or three thousand dollars less than I was making pulling telephone cable. And it was a... 60 minute one-way drive minimal because it's in virginia right took the job get to the job um you know give my notice get to the job um and day one the chief uh of the comp of the um the civilian chief says you're not qualified for the position you're gonna have to be a purchaser so i was like great um so i took you know gather my composure and talked to my boss. And I said, look, can we go talk to him and see if we can reevaluate in six months? And we went into his office and I was like, look, I quit my job. I'm here. This is not what I want to be doing. Can we reevaluate in six months? And he says, absolutely. So three months later, two people quit. They immediately moved me over to the technical realm. And, uh, after three years of being there, I was running, uh, two organizations, uh literally doing really really cool stuff um learned it was the very uh, uncomfortable step out of my or very uh big step out of my comfort zone to take this position um it was a lot of technology that i hadn't seen before um but i did it and i worked a million hours to like <laughs> just learn how to do what these guys did and build systems basically it was the uh people in country would come back to the states have a problem, say, here's your pro- here's what my problem is. Can you build me something that'll solve this problem? And so it was hardware, software, everything. I learned viruses. I learned firmware. I learned basically everything, all the tools in the trade. Um, a lot of the people that I worked with were former military, so they had experience doing different things in the field. And uh, it was very, uh, it was literally the springboard to the rest of my life, the rest of my history. Um, and then the one thing they, they did say when I um, started there was I had to start college, so not only was I working far away in Virginia, but I was doing uh, online classes if I could get them. The internet was very spotty back then, um, but ha- you know, attending, uh, Arizona Community College at uh, seven eight o'clock at night to, you know, get my degree. But you know, it did it forced me to go get my degree, which took me about nine years to get, and then for, fast forwarding my master's. Um,
0: so it sounds like that your career kind of started with um, some unexpected turns and mm-hmm. that one of the things that you know was important to you was never turn down an opportunity right and and kind of is is that something that stayed with you for the rest of your career is that something like your philosophy on uh, ca- career growth and and where you are now
1: yeah i think that set me up for stepping out of uh of my comfort zone so i'll, I'll tell another story and i'll kind of bunch the rest of my career up until fortigo into this story but um, I always tell people that I never really had to make an adult decision until I was starting for Tigo because my career had went, I went from CIA back to NSA, uh, with a company called Keen Federal Systems. And, uh, it was mostly because of the drive. It took me seven hours one night to get home. And my, my best friend was coming home from the Marine Corps and it was a snowstorm and I was like, I'm done. So, um, but I came back to Keen Federal Systems, and I became a um, system administrator. I just took a job that was available. The company seemed great. I was like, "I'm just going to take this." Um, so it was a system administration position, working with uh, uh, a net- in a network area that worked with third party. So we'll just leave it at that. So I basically um, had to up- update systems on when they put out new um, patches, firmware, things like that so basic when I was in there I was like I can just code this up to do it automated and that's what I did so anytime a system uh, needed an, uh, an update it would do a checksum when it came in and it automate I just it would automate it. automate it over the network and it would take you know half an hour or whatever um, so I coded myself out of a job and ended up doing database programming which I hated but I did that for six months it was very successful I got a bunch of awards for that Um said, I'm done with this kind of stuff. I want to do something different. So I went to, um, uh, actually Tony Ward made me an offer on the spot with no position. Um, And I was like, I'm taking it. This guy believes in me, I'm taking this job. So for people out there that are listening, um, you know, sometimes it's not uh, egregious to make an offer on the spot and say, I don't have anywhere to put you, but I'm going to figure this out. Um, I, I love Tony to this day for that what Um, was going through
0: your so what what was going through your head at that time i mean were you thinking that there's no you know bad outcome to this like how were you weighing the risks on that one
1: uh i didn't really again it was one of those um take take the chance take the leap i mean these people are believing right like uh you know and i was young young enough to think you know this is uh I, i believed in tony right because he immediately believed in me and then the people around that area i can't remember anybody else really that i worked with i I worked with a canadian dude that was their system administrator um but that was all i could remember and they knew that i had a background on doing database fixes so they were like well great our payroll systems jacked up let's get him in here to help with that to start um and then i ended up at f6 so um which was a chance i was uh I was interviewing around with my background and I had the telephony background from, you know, pulling telephone cable. Um, and I interviewed with a guy named Jay Kronk, um, who in about two minutes was like, when can you start? Which was great. I was like, this is awesome. Um, interviewed with TAO when back in the day when they were very cowboy, uh, to do windows things. Um, and I had the background, they offered me the job also. And I was like, you know, this guy, Jay, believe again, this, this history of people believe in, in me and like, before I even believed in myself, so to speak, and was just like, all right, I'm taking this job and ended up uh, doing that job for about three years. My, um, I would have probably, they actually offered me a civilian position there, which I was very close to taking. It was a 1310 and my dad wasn't even a 1310. And he was like, I can't believe they offered you that kind of deal. And um, I think I was 26 years old. Um, I've been traveling all over the country, but I learned the uh, the position and the and the 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 engineering principles that I had to know to do that job in six months. And it was just, again, just learning from people, sucking in knowledge and being humble enough to just take it all in. I don't know this. Can you show me this? That kind of thing. Um, Which was one of my favorite jobs for sure. To this day is still one of my favorite because I got to travel the world um, for the government and uh, not have to pay for any of that travel. And I definitely do it again today if I was younger. Um, from there, I went to uh, I learned about firewalls. They had to drop a firewall for me to transfer some data. Um, again, in that position, I coded myself out of a job and ended up doing other things uh, that we can't talk about here. but um, but I know about firewalls, and I was like firewalls, I got to study that." So I just started you know grabbing books and studying and was like, "Wow, this pen testing thing's really cool. I got to figure this out. Good.
0: So were you basically it sounds like one of the patterns is every time that you would get an opportunity, that you would kind of look to see what something's new and then you would immerse yourself in that and yeah. then kind of you know use that to pivot to the next the next role right so you're automating your previous job and then moving on
1: yep yeah and then back then uh for the uh for the new generation it was Perl that i was very good at and i guess python today is much more um affluent and, and easier to just code something up yeah. I'm well, not sure how
0: much people you're doing Pearl anymore.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so yeah. So, um, but learn, but I learned to do like, um, little things in Pearl that would be considered today, like, um, you know, exploits or hacking. Right. And, and so cool. I was pretty good at all that stuff. And, um, so anyway, I learned about firewalls. I learned about how they worked and I was like, Ooh, so, um, I ended up, uh, back at logic staying at logic Con, same company um but i wanted to do this we they won a contract with the nmci which was doing um pen testing all over the world and i had known um robin lemasters from work that i had done at booze prior to that which i probably skipped over but um she uh recognized my name and said yeah we definitely want to bring you in you know and i ended up doing um pen testing learning kind of on the fly um to do uh work for the Navy and Marine Corps internet, basically flying all over, uh, the country, um, securing their, 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 or, you know, basically looking at network diagrams, showing where flaws could be, uh, digging in deeper using pen testing tools, scanning, and then, uh, giving reports. Basically it was like a two week trip every time. Um, did that for a while and then ended up, um, going to Booz Allen, um, to do, guard penetration testing so i got into a little bit of like reverse engineering so figuring out how things worked and then
0: so combating. so wait a minute, Chad. so at this point you're at booze allen
1: so yeah you so yeah ended up at booze um okay got sort of traveling basically i was i had a very young daughter and was traveling too much um and it was after 9 11 and i was just like you know i gotta want to do something back in the building because i was outside the building for a while um so i got into had you,
0: had you finished the degree yet sorry
1: um no so i i mean it took me nine years to get my degree so i, I finished at like 31 i think
0: so i just i still want to i just want to set because there was a lot of background there so you're at Booz allen you're still learning a lot you've done a lot over the past couple of years learning about vulnerabilities and virus and firewall and cybersecurity. you're still working your degree all right catch catch us up now so now you're a Booz allen and what are you doing there
1: yeah so they call it cross-domain solution now it used to be called high assurance guards basically okay uh, breaking machines that uh, protected, um, you know, classified networks, basically. So being able to transfer data from low to high, high to low, um, I would get in the middle of that and send data that I wanted to send um, to access high-side data. Um, Did a lot, I mean, I basically built a class on that for the government. um, Met a lot of neat people. As a matter of fact, there's a guy named Neil Saville, who is like one of the top uh, Amazon like um, I guess he delivers systems for Amazon. He's like a VP way up the chain. Um, great guy. Hopefully he ends up listening to this podcast, but he was somebody that I hired and um, still remembers me to this day. Like uh, we, we have a mutual friend, so it's pretty wild to, to see that. But anyway, so um, got a group of people together, showed them how to do pen testing, showed them how to do this one on cross-domain solutions, um, elevated from there, um, ended up going to uh stay in with booze and, and ended up moving to dk1 which was the certifier shop uh, okay. where they say if you can have an uh, authority to operate or internal authority to operate um, built in 134 on the first floor which is no longer there their um internal uh, pen testing network so basically we could pen test from our desks uh, working with like tony harris and uh some others chris uh, seymour was in that group there's a bunch of people from uh, all over, but it was an Axis contract. It was a joint CSC Booze Allen contract. Um, set that up, did not get my promotion, but that was the year I got my degree. So I, uh, received my degree and said, Hey, you know, booze, you have to pony up more money. <laughs> um, I don't know if they didn't believe me, but I went and did got offers and ended up with a much higher salary from a small company. Um, came back to booze. They tried to counter. It wasn't even close and i was just like you know it's time for me to move on um get to this small company i won't name the company because they're still around and it's not the same owners or anything so i'm not gonna belittle this company but um was subbing to general dynamics and uh was there about three or four weeks and found out my clearance never transferred so they escorted me out of the building which was a big no-no right um so i confronted the the owner and was like she was like you know. This, this never happens, blah, blah. blah. I don't know what, you know, a lot of excuses. And I was like, look, I'm going to commit to finishing this job with you, uh, because I signed up for it. But when this is complete, um, I'm out. And so basically what I was doing was I was on the opposite end of the certifier. So I was the Mm -hmm. certifiee, and I knew how to work with the certifiers to get the network, um, secured. Um, So
0: you had another setback. So again, another setback. Yeah.
1: Another setback and was very professional about it, um, and, the, you know, it, it. my time at GD, I met a lot of people that are now at Raytheon um, that I'm very good friends with to this day. Um, and it was a very good experience overall. A um, lot of hours, a lot of craziness, but uh, got through it and kept my word. I left. Um, as a matter of fact, Doug Spazano and I are still good friends, and he's at uh, Lockheed Martin. I mean, it's crazy how many people that I've met that are now more senior. You know, I guess everybody elevates, right? But, uh, but yeah, so six months of that. Moved on. Um, I think I actually went back to Boo. Yeah, I did. Went back to Booz Allen. Um, worked with the cross domain solutions uh, area again to bring up some younger younger guys and get them going. And uh, had an opportunity to uh, Booze had just won a contract uh, or started a contract called SDS, um, and I think there was maybe thirty people on it at the time. And uh, I went over to interview and met with some people and they were and i was like you guys are looking for a reverse engineer i was like if it's malware on a network this they were like oh that's that's exactly what we need and so i was like i'd love to do that and so um i got over there so you were at the
0: so it sounds like chad sorry it sounds like you were at kind of the early days of the boom that we're seeing now with cybersecurity and malware analysis and reverse engineering that they weren't yep. even able, they didn't even know what they wanted at the time. And but you, you kind of knew based on all the experiences that you, you had gone through.
1: Yeah, it was just fortunate. I mean, again, it's, um, people are like, oh, it's so smart. It's this, that's experience really. I mean, people, you know, senior people just end up having more opportunities and more experience. I, fortunately in my career that I was able to bounce to places that it got me the experience and I kept looking for what's the next level, right? You got to keep looking forward to like, okay, I learned this. I don't want to sit on my laurels. What's next, right? And I wanted to be constantly be the best. Um, and I think the only the other thing i will point out is for, for owners or people that aspire to be owners, the only time people look for opportunities outside of their environment, at least for me um, and, and my experience as well with owning Fortigo is that when I was bored or if I was or if I felt unappreciated, um, right? So those are the two okay. things. Or I mean, if I thought there was no... Path forward, right? Um, I moved forward. But so again, I'll talk about this. this is the second time I went back to Booze, right? So um, I went back to Booze and said, uh, you know, I'll do this for you. Ended up in NTOC, ended up getting that job. Um, I was like number 40 or so on on SDS, which is now a uh, Franklin's Tower, which is now 1,100 people or something like that, 750, something like that, which will be fo- uh, Focus Fox part of a uh, vigilant vulture and maybe some of Resil- resilient raptor right so huge contract opportunities now but uh, back then it was very very small um ended up really really uh coming into my own on that contract um doing malware reverse engineering um i met my current or you know business partner eric in that his rotation during that time um he was in a cno dp or one, i forget what the name of the program is but he was touring different offices and ended up in our office for six months um where we did some neat stuff on a project called wolfpack uh deterring terrorist stuff um it was very cool and dealt with malware and all this stuff um matt georgie who i um, ended up meeting and who ended up in tao later on and i get to work with him in the future um so very good career move for me overall um, very got me very close to the mission um <clears throat> i ended up uh Getting Sean Tursky became the the director of Entalk, and I was reversing more malware than on paper, right? Than than uh, than the entire malware shop, and he couldn't understand it. And I'm like, well, I'm doing exactly what they need as a triage, and um, he was like, oh, that makes sense. Can you go tell them that sometimes this is what we need? So. He moved me to that shop, which was X333 at the time, and I was introduced as the contractor that was forced upon them, right? So I was the only contractor in that shop. Kind of put my head down. Um, I worked a very strong um, intrusion for a very important U.S. individual and proved to them that I knew what I was doing very quickly. Um, About four months in, I was just one of the team, right, and um, was doing triage for... Once a month, we had to do triage, malware triage for um, the sailors. So they were doing like the gig uh, work and they would see malware and they would bring it. And once a month, one person was put on triage. So I ended up talking to Rob Flack and saying, you know, I'll do this for forever. Like we can just, you know, set this up and it would be attachment to that. Fast forward now, there's 40 people um, doing that on a, you know, across what used to be to which is now CSD. So just kind of like, thinking outside the box, thinking forward.
0: You mentioned that you, you met your future business partner in there, Eric. Are you working? Like, can you go in a little bit of that? Like what, what attracted you to working with him? And
1: yeah, it's so, when it's did you weird. decide we to just,
0: start Fortego?
1: Yeah. So, okay. So not, not knowing anything about, uh, there was no Fortego at that time. Right. So it was just me and him in a, in a shop doing work for and talk. Um, I ended up, so let's go past this. So after he left our shop, um, I was like, eh, maybe it's time for me to do something else. I'd worked with Matt Georgie. Matt Georgie was now in TAO. Um, I took an offer with, uh, BAE systems to do some work with DARPA and work with, uh, TAO. So, um, so I could work with Matt Georgie, do some stuff for him and work uh, in DARPA, which was in Nashville, which was a whole different thing. Um, wrapped up the Nashville stuff and, uh, Actually, so before I left, Booze, I came with a proposal on the malware. Like, so we I f- showed them that we were there was a path forward doing malware analysis for the agency, right? And uh, Jim Allen was uh, a senior level uh, VP at Booze, not not yet a partner. And um, there was just, just just didn't seem like a path forward to do that at Booze. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to take this job at BAE. So we went to BAE um was there just about nine months um full-time tao so i wrapped up the darpa stuff was in tao um doing development and reverse engineering malware stuff like that for them and um jim allen reached back out to me and said hey you know remember that plan you came with he said i'd I'd really like to you know go further on that he had just been promoted to partner and he's like i think i think you've got something there and we met for dinner and um, he's like, I'd love to bring you back. And I'm like, okay, I, you know, I'm, I'm definitely willing to do that. And so he brought me back in to booze. Um, I came in as a senior associate, which, um, you know, was high rank and I was a little nervous, right? Like I hadn't had all the resources to, to go do what I needed to do and really nobody telling me what to do. And it was like, go, you know, you just got to go do it. So. Um, I started. This,
0: so, wait, a minute, this is the third time that you were at booze. No, third time. Yeah. So, okay. come back
1: here a bunch of times. So, I, I still have an affinity for booze out. I think they they do a great job with people. Most of the business owners that I know in this industry are former booze at some point, right? So, um, definitely churn out uh, great great people, right? Um, so, yeah, I got back to booze and um, and I just started going. You know, I just started really going forward. And I bumped into. So, I had to go to Fanex for something. And I bumped into Eric in the hall, like passing at the turnstiles in Phoenix three. And I was like, Hey, I just took a position at booze. I would love to bring you over there. He goes, Hey, I'm leaving the government because I can't have a family and work for the government. And, uh, so he came and we, uh, figured out a price point and started up, you know, and we hired, um, 26 people, I think in the first year. Wow. And, uh, Mike McConnell was at Booz. I think he's still an advisor for Booz, but he was working at Booz at the time. And he he came down to brief, or came down, or came up from Virginia for briefings from each of the sectors that were doing uh, new business, up and coming business, that kind of thing. And uh, I, I remember I wore an orange and black striped tie to go brief him, and he says to me. You know, I'm I'm explaining him the, the, what I think the theory is and how how things are going to go with uh, business for for malware and where else we can take it and and things like that. And he stops me and he says, uh, says Why are you here? And I was like, What? He's like I'm I'm showing you like my vision for where we're going to take this business. He's like, No, no, no. Why are you here? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't I don't know what you're you're talking about. And he's like, You're wearing that ugly tie or some some reference to my tie. And there's banter about my tie. And I started to take off my tie. I said, if you wanted my tie, you know, I'll give you my tie. I, w- I just want to present this and move on. <laughs> and, uh, you know, his banter, he said, you know, I get, I start going again. And he's like, look, you just don't belong here. You don't fit this culture. And wow. it threw me off of my entire presentation to him.
0: Um That was the second time you were told why, that was the second time you were asked why you were here, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, there was kind of a theme, like, you know, why are you, why are you doing this? Why are you here? That kind of, yeah, the policeman told me that too, why are you here? And I ended up, you know, going, so, um, so I was like, oh, okay. And I think, I remember Jim Allen's face just turning, like, stone cold white. Like, Like, he couldn't believe what was going on. But, uh you know, I got to talk to Mike McConnell after, you know, he after everybody had their briefings, he, you know, I got to speak with him off, off the side and he said, you know, he said, I, I don't mean anything you know negative towards that. It's just, you just seem like a person that doesn't, well, you know, if you go up the chain, you're not going to make it to partner because you just don't fit the way that things are done here. And you seem very radical and you, your rules are different than other people's. And I was like, you got all that from a tie. So that was like a, you know, a, a thing between us. Um, <clears throat> I have sensed, since thanked him because he planted that seed in my head at that time that um that you know i just didn't fit that culture and nothing against that culture there you know they i love again love blues, blues people but i think he saw it in me before i saw it in me right again that's that's another theme of my life right um
0: but that was this that that's what planted the seed for for yeah Taylor.
1: i mean yeah i so eric i i, I came out of the meeting and i told eric i was like this is crazy he goes no he's like that guy's right <laughs> he's like you don't fit that he's like you're you're not polished you're not you know and and uh, you know hard lessons especially from a friend but he's he was correct you know there was a lot of learning that i had to do and it wasn't it was gonna be a very uphill battle for me um i think at, at booze right and i was like you know i was very entrepreneurial i very, had that in my dna right um so eric was like well we should go do this on our own and um you know, fast forward, we ended up, you know, so we had a couple of meetings, we sat down and figured out what we would need. I actually borrowed from my own uh, 401k to get started. I had some savings, because um, you know, you got to make it through that first year um, with no revenue. Um, but we, we before we did anything, we talked to Jim Allen and Jim Allen's the, the greatest person, in my opinion, on earth. He's he was like, Look, we'll figure something out. I'm glad you came to me first. Um, you know, come back and we'll talk and we figured out like you know how we could help booze how we could transition and keep you know other people from leaving within that company uh, we never hired any booze people we kept everything above board um to this day we've never hired fortigo has never hired nor, nor blue halo has never hired any booze people directly from booze so um it became a great relationship and a lot of people you know afterwards were like how did you even pull that off and i was like it wasn't it was just being honest was being above board and and saying look you know we can have a business relationship and just be on different teams right um so anyway sorry i rambled for a while
0: so uh, so from the cb implanted how quick were you spun up
1: um it wasn't long i would say maybe six months i believe i briefed mike mcconnell in the summer and i know by september i think we were talking to jim and said hey we're we're planning on starting a company, I think. And then a couple of weeks later, we, we so registered the name and everything. Yeah. So it was pretty quick. It was, I don't, I don't like to dwell on things. I don't like to think a whole lot about and sit on it for a very long time. Right. That's Eric's job, my business partner. So <laughs> we were yin and yang for sure. Um, he's very organized. I'm very disorganized. Um, I'm very visionary. He's like, all right, what, can, what are we going to do today? That kind of thing. So
0: do you feel that you needed that yin and yang?
1: Absolutely. And if you, I think if you talk to people across the industry and anybody who's looking for a partner in business, you definitely want somebody that's uh, not exactly like you. You want somebody almost complete opposite. I think we still are great friends today, you know, like brothers. I mean, like, that's like a marriage. That's like a second marriage, basically. Um, And one that I'm super grateful for, we were just in Atlanta over the weekend and just had a blast. We actually got to just... Relax and enjoy, uh, you know, my wife, his wife, just enjoy each other's company. And it was just a great time. So
0: did you guys agree on, was there any hardships? Was there any disagreements? It's always challenging to have a partner.
1: So one of the things, uh, and I'll get into some of the philosophies, but so Eric's, uh, was blessed with, uh, you know, a family that had business and his dad knew a good, good, bit about business. And, um, Eric is also a business major. So, um, I'll praise him all day on this, but he, the fortitude to say we need a uh owner's agreement and we make sure it's you know unbeatable in court right so basically we had you know agreements made throughout uh early on that you know him and i were 50 50 if we couldn't agree then we would get a you know a third party to come in and and solve it for us but we never ever got to that you know what i mean it was it's give and take just like in a marriage you know you don't get a i mean some people get third party in their marriage but it's definitely a give and take. Um, and, uh, no, I cannot imagine or remember one time that we completely disagreed like, and could not like come to resolve. Um, I think we disagreed on philosophies, but I think we played things out sometimes and it was just, it would play out to the point. Like, so I'll give an example. We were looking at doing pen testing. We both had a very mutual friend, that was leaving a company and he was like one of the key guys for doing pen testing training and things like that and both of us were were like gung-ho on it i think we played it out and realized there wasn't uh enough profit margin to really keep that business going because it's like ebb and flow where in the government services it's you know ebb or flow right like it's it's uh or sorry it's flow or or you know or move on to another contract so to speak yeah um so the, with having a, you know, basically drive business, um, for pen testing and more and more companies were doing their own in-house pen testing and things like that. And just again, using mentors in the community and talking to people, it was like, ah, eh, this is probably not a good idea. Sorry. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna pass. Um, but that was a one or two month effort that we like kind of walked down and it kind of held up other things while we were doing that. So, but it's stuff you have to do to like explore to see which way you're going to kind of grow your business. Um, well,
0: I was, I was curious, like, what was some of the things that were, you were trying to set up at Fortego? Like, what was some of the culture and some of the things that were important to you?
1: So for, for one, it was like, um, I wanted, we wanted to be able to sit down and have a beer or dinner or whatever you want to call it with the people that we hired. Right. Like we wanted a place where, uh, a no jerk policy. Right. Um, we, I remember, uh, we asked someone to go. You know, find something else because they weren't a fit to the culture, uh, which was hard because that person was super technical. Um, and we just didn't see it through the interviews, but, you know, we were like, you know, it's time for you to move on. Uh, we always said, you know, the golden rule, um, you know, do what's right, even when people aren't looking, that kind of those are the types of people that mm-hmm. we want to attract. And, but I mean, it was tough because we wanted high end as well, right? Like, mm-hmm. so high performers. Um, at one point we, early on, we were like, we're probably only going to grow to 20 people and that's going to be it because it's just too hard to find people. And when we blew through 20 and hit almost 30, we were like, okay, well, maybe, maybe 40 is the number. And we hit 40 and we blew through that. So, um, so I think, you know, and the culture we wanted to instill in people is a place where people could come, like I said, hang out, drink a beer, you know, chat with the, you know, the owners, you know, um, I never was, I was, I feel like I was a subservient leader as well as, um, as well as Eric, which means basically you're not going to ask anybody to do anything that you've never done as well as if they're struggling, you figure out how to help them. Right. And that was, that was the motto. Um, when people introduced me as their, I'll never forget. I went to Indiana. Uh, One of my employees left, moved back home to Indiana and I went to the Indiana 500 with him and I, I'm, you know, hung out with him and his family in Indiana, my wife and I went and, um, his uncle says, we're going to breakfast and his uncle says, uh, his uncle says, uh, I thought Jason's boss was coming. And somebody said, that's Jason's boss. And that, that was the greatest thing that I heard in my entire life. Cause it took me right back to Mike McConnell saying that I didn't fit that. Right. And I, so I didn't right. fit the term of boss, which is exactly what I wanted. Right. I don't yeah. want to be known as, as people's boss. I just want to be able to, you know, help them succeed and get the, you know, get to their next level. Right? Um, and we never frown on people leaving. Um, if it was to go better themselves, that's something that we couldn't do. One of the things that we built at Fortigo was, uh, and still to, in, at Blue Halo, is that uh, we put contracts around that would be complementary. So if uh, you know you, you take Scooby Snacks or doing you know uh, low level development, right. We had the complimentary Ironworks. We had complimentary Orange Orange Combat. Complimentary Anvil. So we had a bunch of places that people could go. If the mission didn't suit them, they could just move within the company, and that's big for people. So and me especially, right? Like if I had that at you know say Keen Federal Systems, I might have never left that company. But no one. I looked around that company, and there was uh, nothing that really you know a lot of a lot of stuff that I wasn't doing.
0: But but Fortigo focused a lot on like malware analysis and cybersecurity, did you, you kept it pretty focused, right? I mean, that was, was that intentional?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So three, three areas of focus was, uh, CNO development, uh, vulnerability research and cyber analytics and just whatever, you know, we could bucket into those categories. We pretty much stayed within that. We didn't really do testing for the longest time because we thought it was like, "Ah, that's a little outside of what we're doing. We didn't, we never did system administration. We never did, um, you know, regular reporting. We didn't do any of the the stuff that wasn't super because because we wanted people to be able to move within their career. Um, you know, Blue Halo on the other hand, with the acquisition of Asymmetric and and you know having work in tech revitalization, it, we were able to play more, which was a again that was a, a purposeful step for us for moving from Fortigo to Blue Halo. Sorry if I'm getting ahead, but like it just made sense, right?
0: Yeah, I'm just I'm I'm just trying to follow up on the Fortigo, trying to understand. You know, the company that you had built and then we'll get to the Blue Halo acquisition. I guess my, my last question about Fortego was, do you regret only focusing on certain areas or was that something that you think that is ultimately what made you successful in the company is having that deep understanding of certain areas?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. No, I don't regret it at all. I think uh, I think that's a must in uh, in our industry. I think it's easy to chase money. I think it's super easy to because so opportunities presented us itself for us to go work that was both uh, like outside of what we did and we could have had like maybe a soul source doing it and it was just like we don't do that like tech writing i think was a big thing like war yeah. testing i think was a big thing and we were just like we just don't do that uh, i don't know how to hire a tester because we just don't do that right and mm-hmm. i don't know what a tester wants to do after they're done if they're sick of testing right <laughs> so uh so for me it was like it made and it was easier to recruit i'll tell you that much because when cno developers came to us or vulnerability researchers came to us they knew what our portfolio was oh you can work any of this stuff and they were like what okay you have 11 or however many contracts you know we have a ton of contracts that i can go do this work on um additionally um which at the time i wouldn't have realized early on but it was much easier to um to prepare for the sale because we had three distinct areas of focus that all really kind of blended together. And there was overlap in between. And if you looked at, if you look at the the evolution of CNO, right. Um, you know, you have the, the person that's going to find the vulnerability, the person, you know, just how it all wor- works in the circle. We had every area of the circle uh, kind of covered.
0: So you were a great, you were a great, well, let's get to that then. Right. So you were a great uh, acquisition for Blue Halo because you really brought the complete life cycle of, of that type of work. So what was the thought process there? Like, let's go, let's go into that then.
1: Okay. So uh, for for the thought process of the sale or I, I can go.
0: Yeah. I, like, so where, where I'm called up at is you're having, you're having success bringing on people that fit within your culture. You have your specific area of focus. You have a lot of opportunities. You and Chad are rolling along, getting along and something had to change. So like, what was that decision point?
1: So, uh, what we were seeing in health insurance. Uh, so, when you get to fifty people, you're a real company, In the government size, you're a five hundred thousand person company. Because it doesn't matter. You're you're doing the same thing as a as a, as a fifty person company. You you're stuck with the regulations that they force upon you. Um, you know all the things that go with it, and one of them is insurance changes, right? So you become your own insurance. So. Prior to 50 in Maryland, you can get with group insurance and you're a small business that ties into a group of insurance and you get uh, group rates rather than what your rates are. When you become 50 and above, uh, you now are evaluated by the healthcare uh, provider based on your claims. So if you have a lot of claims, your insurance is going to be high. So our insurance continued to rise over the three years after we hit 50 um, by like 20 plus percent each year. And I think the last year was like 30 some. So it was getting ridiculous and we were kind of, um, we knew what we were up against, which was fine, uh, but we didn't want to put that burden on our employees. So we eased into that, the you know, 25 bucks instead of free, things like that. But mm-hmm. uh, overall, it just was unfair to the employees because the government, so the other things that were happening was the government wasn't increasing pay. Like Scooby Snacks was still working off of 2013 rates. Um, there's just, there was just a lot of like old contracts that hadn't graduated to give us um, some relief on the, on the, uh, insurance. Right. And so we were like, we just need to grow very fast. So the next step for us was go prime something. All right. So we took a look, we've, uh, calculated it out. It's not cheap to prime things if you do it right. Right. Then you need a back office to handle the, the billing and the accounts receivable accounts payable, that kind of thing, making sure people are getting paid. You need, um, you need to make sure you have enough, you know, a financial person for that, you need a program manager, all these things that you got hired for before you win the prime. So it's it, it
0: almost it it's almost becomes harder to remain a small business, is what you're kinda of saying, right? Absolutely. You, yep. You have to build up a lot of that stuff. Okay.
1: Yep. And we were prepared to do that. Um, but we looked across the board and like Cold Forge was like one, one of the only things that we were suited to go after. Um and we've seen the government kick the can on that contract before. And they, you know, it drug out for two years. Here we are. We sold in uh, December 2020. We're in 22, and it's still the final RFP for Cold Forge hasn't been re- released, right? So we would have struggled, um, not struggled. I think we're, financially we would have been fine. But uh, overall for the business, it just wouldn't have been great because our profits would have been declining based on insurance and things like that. There's just all these you know, factors. And, um, so we, uh, all, well, you know, we're always doing what's best for the business. You know, when it came time to hire a financial, uh, so we hired a CF or a, a, director of finance, um, probably when we were like four or five people, um, Jamie Watts, wow. so and she worked with us for a couple of years and then we got high fam and high took us to the end. But, uh, we brought on a recruiter when it was time to bring on a recruiter, you know, did things very meticulously, that mm-hmm. were best for the business. Sometimes a little delay, but try to, you know, make sure we were looking ahead to say, well, this is what we're going to do this year. So we need to bring on this person, right? So we brought an HR person on, um, because we, you know, we wanted to make sure the culture maintained while we grew and, um, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, when it came time to look in, looking at the health, you know, healthcare, all the, all the things that were, were going on, it just stacked against us. And we were like, well, why don't we look at private equity? We just wanted to take a look, right? Take a peek. We talked to a banker and, you know, the banker was like, you know, everything looks good. You guys are, you guys are solid. You guys are on the up. So we were on the, that's the thing. We were like, uh, I call us, you know, Barry Sanders. We were getting ready to retire when we were you know, on top of, things, right. Um, which, which, uh, you know, and I, you asked the question earlier, maybe if we, you know, diversified a bit more, Th- then that would have solved the problem. I was problem actually going to ask
0: you that. I was going to ask yeah. you, like if you, if you thought that you mentioned the one contract that was your focus area, if you would have been in other areas, would you have been able to continue on? Right. Because there would have been other opportunities for you to to go
1: after. Before 2021, there were no small business set asides. Fast forward to 2021. You get Vigital Vulture, which would have been perfect for us, right? Like Resilient Raptor, yeah. you know, all these contracts are popping out as small tribal justice. Like, come on, man. Like it was almost again, it was it was kind of in the faint of our of what we've decided. It just happened that way, and I'm not looking back, right? There's no regrets for yeah. me, right?
0: That's good uh, regrets.
1: Yeah, no. I mean, we went to private equity. Um I think we had eight. So we started with ten, ten companies. We said we're not going big, we're not going broad. We're not doing any strategic. We didn't want to crush the culture. We want to make sure people were happy. Um, we just want to take it to the next level. And I think um, there was eight, eight companies towards the end. Um, and then it came down to two. And we actually took less money to go with Blue Halo. And it wasn't, I mean, it, it didn't, it was less about the money than it was about making sure the fit was there. And um, Arlene's Capital, does things, awesome. John Moneymaker was great. Um, we got to meet James Bat, who's my, now my boss, the chief growth officer. Um, and they were what they were building was, um, you know, they were they were doing a lot of space and directed energy, and they wanted to put an Intel piece to this. And uh, we we didn't know at the time they were bringing Base Two, but um, they ended up bringing us in Base Two at the same time, which was, I mean, that was a brilliant idea because they instantly had hardware and software for CNO, you know, as well as cyber analytics and vulnerability research. Like, bam, you got a package of you know 300 people right now so um
0: it sounds like it, it sounds like similar to when you started the company that you you know you evaluated, you made your decision and then once you made your decision you're acting on it it doesn't yep. sound it sounds like you guys evaluated and you made your decision you were ready to to take it to the next level and, I, and that for you was acquisition and you you kind of started executing is that fair to say it doesn't sound like you kind of like went back and forth
1: no no and i, I think i told you and you know in some of our conversations some people sign the you know dotted line to to move on and and be a part of something bigger and some people take a while to transition not for me um i just wanted eric and i made sure that our people were taken care of and once we got through through the benefits um and all that stuff and blue halo actually upped a lot of people's benefits so i'm like all right well Nobody can complain about that. So it's time to you know move on. So, um, and, and, you know, every company has growing pain. I mean, you mer- we merged, I think they merged seven companies in a year. I think that was, um, I mean, that's insanity, right? But, uh, but overall, you know, things have been, you know, very good work. We're, we're going after, we're priming some things. We're, you know, strategic subbing things. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just, we have done exactly what we said we were going to do is taking things to the next level. So.
0: Yeah. It sounds like, uh, it sounds like it worked out the way that you wanted it to work out I, I guess the question would be and this might be harder to answer is looking back i mean is there anything you would have changed and, and just focusing more on you know starting for tago running for tago and selling for tago is there any things that you would have changed and, and the answer can be no i'm just curious
1: i think i would have done it earlier but then i don't think i would have been as successful i think you mature and grow um and i think there's probably people that know me from my my 20s that would be like what a jerk um, what a technical jerk he was, you know, cause I, I was very, I was, you know, blessed with a very, you know, quick wit and smart. And I learned things very quickly and I pick up on things quickly. So, um, I think before I turned 30, um, you know, before I had my, my daughter, my daughter at 25, I think that changed me a bit. And then 30, it was like, Oh, I get it. People said to me at an early stage of my career, like, you know, if you really want to make a bunch of money and be successful in this industry, then you need to figure out how to clone yourself, and to me that didn't make a lick of sense. I was like, that doesn't like cloning isn't invented yet. Like I don't know how to invent cloning, <laughs> you know. That so uh, so for me it was like oh at thirty I was like oh and I think that's when I started over at, at booze and when Jim brought me back I think it was uh, it was uh, oh I got to hire people that do what I do and inspire them and you know plant the seed and water them and help them flourish and help them focus on their career um that didn't hit me until 30 and i think some people get it early maybe maybe but not me um i was very uh technical focused until that so
0: that's a that's a uh uh, one one other question on that it sounds like a that's a mindset change right because your early career you're focused on the technical and in the weeds and doing the you know the learning and then you're kind of enabling others Right. Yep. At that point, were you still doing the technical work or are you focused more on the management?
1: No, I was still doing technical. So, uh, yeah, I was client site billable um, for the first seven or eight years, uh, 100%. Uh, I think year nine, I went to 75 and then 10 to 50. And I think every time I cut back in my uh, this is something for, for people that are running small business. Every time I cut back my time, uh, I, we grew, we grew faster mm-hmm. because I had more time to feel. Eric did the same thing. We, we both stayed technical until pretty close to the end uh, or actually till the end. I, I didn't, I think last year was when I finally um, cut ties with doing, doing technical work. But uh, yeah, I mean, for sure, you know, and, and you don't understand it while you're in it. You're like, I'm billable. I'm offsetting my money. You know, I'm not taking from the till, but you have to. You have to make time for your company and make time to visit your people and make sure you're taken care of. So,
0: yeah, I think that that's a challenge in there in, in this world a little bit, right? Because I think you lose some of the insights into the business as you pull yourself away from it. Um, but that's some good advice that you know you kind of are investing in the company. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's a that's a good way to look at it.
1: The con to that, I, I agree with you. Is the that so? I, I think I profess to be pretty good at doing helping with proposal work because I'm in, and I was in the in the contracting spaces. So I was, even though I was in CSD, I was working with TAO, I was working, with, you know, other places CNO, and so I knew things um, and was able to help build business because I already you know I knew how things tied together, and that's something that you sacrifice when you take your step out, and i definitely feel that over the last year, so.
0: So it's a, it's a, it's a yin and yang problem. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's start wrapping this up, Chad. And uh, it sounds like we, you know, we started with your journey. We, where you started pulling cables and it sounds like some of the lessons was always look for new opportunities and try to continue to grow and then kind of, you know, take the opportunities when you can. Right. And, and it sounds like you had some good advice over the years and a lot of people were questioning you. Why, why were you here? And I yeah. think you continue to use that to motivate you to to continue on. And you made a lot of, uh, you've had a lot of success. So I guess the the takeaway I think a lot of people always like is, um, you know, what are those, what is that like one action or that one takeaway that you would like everyone to hear? Like that, that would make them successful, similar to you.
1: I mean, for me, it's don't be afraid to jump. Like you got, and I don't mean jump moving career or leaving your company. I don't want a bunch of people quitting tomorrow. But I think that, uh, I think don't, you know, don't be afraid to step out of your comfort zone. Look, if you fail, you fail. Look, Will Smith, I think even says this, like you're in a plane, you have the parachute on, like you, you, you got to take that step and jump. I mean, or you can go back down with the plane, but then you've never done that thing that you We'll never do at that point, right? Like you've got to move forward at some in some way. And I mean, I, look, I probably didn't talk about them, but there was failures everywhere. You got to fail to succeed. Um, and I think what you end up with is every time you fail, it's a teaching moment. People are—I I hate that term, but it's—it's it's so true though. It's a teaching moment. Like you, you know, I and I hope my my people will say the same about me is that I implore them to fail because we'll sit back and figure out how to fix things um rather than you know belittle or begrudge right um and i think the other thing is is, and the big takeaway is just stay humble like you know you're not going to know everything sitting at the table and you don't have to prove anything to anybody i think asking questions and saying you don't know things i think people are more comfortable with you at that point um if you're in a room full of smart people saying that you don't know something is is better than if you pretend you know it and then you end up failing when you get out of the room, right? So, I know that's a little off topic, but that's that's a whole other session. Um, that's good. And then for a book, I know you asked me earlier about Yeah, that's it. the
0: last thing. I wanted to end with something fun, right? Everyone likes recommendations, book, podcast, TV show. I don't really care what it is. I'm just kind of curious what's uh, interesting in you this day, these days.
1: Yeah. So, uh, it's all about the why is probably my favorite book because I think it helped me. um, So I'm a very disorganized person. I think I said that earlier, but, uh, it helped me sit back and, uh, figure out how to frame things to say, you know, it's not how, don't tell people how to do it, but why are they doing it, And why is this thing important and how it will, uh, kind of what's in it for them at at the, at the, you know, through the process. So
0: who, who wrote that? Who's book is that?
1: I don't know. It's it's de- it's definitely on Amazon though. Um, it's called All I, About the Why. All About the Why. W H Y. Yep. yep.
0: Okay, I'll have so. to find that one. That's good. All right. So we're gonna we're gonna wrap up here. Um, thank you, Chad, for joining us, and I, I hope everyone enjoyed the podcast. Um, stay tuned for you know future guests and recommend this to your friends. And again, Chad, thank you. Uh, you've had an yep. amazing journey. Uh, you shared a lot of insights, a lot of information, and uh, I appreciate you being so open uh, sure. about many things and uh, take care. Have a good one, Chad. Thanks, man. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for tuning in to the Inside the Line podcast. A special thanks to Devin McBride, Brandon McBride, Kirsten Miller-Jones, and the Central Maryland FC, a chapter for helping to make this podcast come to life.